Greetings, Kapla, and welcome everyone to our fan cast, where an adventurous rocket scientist, a Star Trek girl, and a sci-fi wingnut take an away team excursion from the Star Trek series Strange New Worlds and talk about the finale season of Star Trek Picard. We are super excited to geek out and talk about the show, so let's gear up, assume our stations, and hit it. Hello, I'm playing the part of Chief Miles O'Brien on this episode of Strange New Worlds Fancast. My name is SP. Joining me is our fearless commander, the PB&J queen herself, Captain Bubbles. <laughs> Captain Bubbles. I forgot about the PB&J. That's nice. That's nice. Also joining us in between running himself back through the transporter again and again and again to cleanse his DNA is the head of Starfleet Mental Health Section 35, Commander Klinger. Thank you very much. We saw the Picard finale. This is the season and the series finale. The Last Generation. It was directed by Terry Metalis, who has two directing credits starting in 2017, including four episodes of 12 Monkeys, two episodes of Picard, the last one, Vox, and this one, The Last Generation. This episode was written by Christopher B. Derrick, who has five writing credits since 2000, including 11 episodes of Equalizer and 20 episodes of Picard. And then it's written by Kylie Rossetter, who has 20 episodes of Picard as staff writer, story editor, and writer. And she has two written buys, which is season two, episode three, Assimilation, and season three, episode nine, Vox. The showrunner for season three, was Terry Metalis. Those 20 episodes that Christopher B. Derrick had were exchanged between staff writer, story editor, and writer. Guys, we've had a very eventful nine episodes. Do you want to hear some highlights from those nine episodes before we start? Hit it. Absolutely. Let's listen. Wow, there's so many even little things that I that kind of just snuck in that i didn't even catch just in the process of going ooh, ah laris oh i don't I'm know one, no, 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 if i can give up that point of your honey <laughs> and go back to crusher you guys have speculated last episode and i agree with you that they are possibly setting up a next generation new series based on the titan so, based on that, who would you crew the Titan with? And just for example, Captain Seven, because I'm guessing Todd Stashwick is going to die at some point in time. I mean, he's a great total red shirt. Total. He's red a shirt. great character to bring in and wreak havoc. And I love seeing him on screen, but I don't think he's going to make it out of this. Where's Q when you need him? Dead. Dead. Oh, damn it. <laughs> The Star Trek IP kind of knows that whether it was them or whether it was Will, Will Wheaton in this case, I think they both agree that wrong was done and they need to mend that. And they kind of did last season, but I think they need to bring it to the next level. I have an issue with 10 forward being used so liberally, not in the holodeck, but 
in the flashbacks and then actually in the first episode without Guinan being there. I do believe we're going to lose all TNG people. I think they're going to close out the characters from TNG and move. And if they choose to move forward, move forward with the characters that they are creating at this moment. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I got it. He's Q reborn. (gasps) That'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. Hey, I'd buy it just to have John Delancey back. Because they talk about his incident report afterward, the um, performance review. It's redacted. They're not doing a performance review. That's a board of inquiry, if I understand correctly, if he's actually turns out to be one of the bad guys versus a performance review. Yeah, so did Q mess with something? I hope we don't go there because I agree with SP. We, we've sent Q off into the sunset, and I think his story has come to a good end. And that brings up the point of I'm still scratching my head over why the portal weapon was targeting that specific Starfleet recruitment center. And it was because of the statue of the captain of the Enterprise C. <laughs> that actually would fit. I didn't think that. It brings it back around. If you're a Todd Stashwick fan, it's like, oh man, he died again. But if you're a Trek fan and you've never seen him before and he comes on as a captain, he dies in the hallway. It's like, uh, after eight episodes, I'm not really that attached to him. You're going to have a big funeral at the very end of next episode for him. As I said, the boomers have to go get their classic car and save the world from the uh, pre-programmed Gen Zers. The thing's going to fall apart and it's going to explode again. Or Deanna's going to crash it again. One of the two. (laughs) That was coming. Come on, give her some credit. She just got back. Yeah, they might divert to the Rytox system to get, you know, some space whales to help them up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think those are coming either, but I would like to. If they show up with space whales to save the day, I quit. (laughs) Now they go and they get Thomas Riker and then he goes, gets the space whales. And then, oh God. (laughs) You know who we're going to have show up next, next episode? Barkley. Oh God, that would be awesome. Reggie. Reginald Barkley saves the day. That's what it's going to happen right there. In a holodeck. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait a minute. Im- imagine this. Reginald Barkley, hero of Starfleet. You know, what this proves is Dr. McCoy was right. Those transporters will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice one. That was a good one. Okay, I have one last thing, and it, I understand why they didn't do it because of the nostalgia factor. But they have upgraded the concept of the view screen in every ship out there, including the original Enterprise, and we didn't get it on the D. Well, we did get Bluetooth finally on the D because you had <laughs> you had Dr. Crusher checking out her tricorder and making sure all systems were ready to go versus going into a panel. And also at the end of this episode, talking about fan service, what would have been great is if we got like 10 flybys of the Enterprise D as the credits <laughs> rolled, you know, just like in the on, on intro the, credits yeah. for TNG. All right. That's nine episodes encapsulated in just a few minutes. You guys happy with that? Absolutely. I'm glad we got some of those things wrong. 
<laughs> hey, the fact that we didn't have Reginald Barkley hero Starfleet, I think is a tragedy. I think so too. We didn't get that. I'm glad we didn't lose all the TNG crew. We did not. We did not we lose, lose anybody. Any of the TNG crew. I thought we were going to lose Worf there for a moment. Thanks to Deanna, who did not crash the ship. She did awesome. Now, was she flying the ship or was she just feeding the coordinates to Data, who was flying the ship? Either way, I'm okay, but. She flew it because it was all wow. based off her feelings and because she can fly it. So she did not crash it this time. Hey, we needed to have our um, Star Wars moment. <laughs> that was, was totally flying it into the Death Star. That was. Uh, but that's okay. Yeah, I was almost like, yeah, I don't know. I did get a kick out of, am I sensing enjoyment? Enjoyment. <laughs> Data smiling. <laughs> there are so many things that I loved about this. Yeah, Data already kind of done that in Nemesis when he was like, yush, with the fist pump and stuff. That was Nemesis, right? Generations. First, yeah, the first wow. one. Wow. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, that's when, that's when they blew up the... Um, that's been a minute. The Bird of Prey using the exact same graphic that they use blowing up the Bird of Prey in, from Star Trek 6. <laughs> That's right. They, they, they were saving some CGI graphics right there. Well, Data is now capable of doing that at any time, including hours and hours and hours of therapy. With Deanna. <laughs> She's in there going into her vacation, trying to figure out where they're going to go, and he's continually talking. Oh, we went long again. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it should be hilarious at the moment he truly starts to find his humanity. What is the first thing that he does? He ends up in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Deanna's like, it's time to go. Listen, I loved everything about this episode. The only complaint I had, well, there's two. I told you earlier. I wish that there was some kind of resolution between him and Crusher's relationship, if you're not going to let me have Loris, if you're not going to let me have the pointy-eared honey, damn. Give me some kind of resolution for Crusher, right? But my complaint, and I know Sean's like explaining to me why you can't do this, but somewhere, somewhere, somehow, they should have said instead of christening the new name for Titan, something, I think, should have said Picard. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about the fact that they think, and matter of fact, Terry Metalis even said that they were thinking about this at one point in time. I don't know if they shot it like this or not, that they were trying to keep Jean-Luc at bay and, and not get him stressed out or anything because the name was Picard and not Enterprise. And the lines in there seem to indicate it because it's like, oh, we're honoring this great crew and ship and stuff like that. And it's like, well, you've had several different Enterprises, even between the E. And now the G. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I would have preferred them to name the ship Picard because even Sean said you can't name a ship after someone who's currently serving. I get that. But you could have taken the Enterprise D that's now in the museum and renamed it. No, something. You, no something. a decommissioned ship. You don't rename so, but something new, even if it was a different class. If I had to make a guess the reason this decision was probably made was the fact that it really is leaning towards the possibility of getting more storyline with the new enterprise crew. I do. Th I think so too. 
If you're honoring the crew, what about the great Titan crew that Riker commanded for all those years? Why not honor them? But it's Star Trek. You need an Enterprise. Because he didn't do a good job. It's not Star (laughs) Enterprise. It's Star Trek. It really doesn't matter what the ship's name is. Between me and you, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but be with a group of people in a focus group discussion board somewhere along the line. I'm sure somewhere along the line, somebody went, it's Star Trek. You got to have the Enterprise. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying my thing, I would have liked something to be named after Picard. That's all I'm saying. Go back and rewatch all of those scenes and pretend to yourself. Mm-hmm. That the name on the hull says Picard and see if it fits the filming of everything. I'll bet it does. Oh, it, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It does. It does. Everything but the fact that it was Enterprise at the end. Other than that, I've watched the episode four times now. <laughs> Just since yesterday afternoon. It was worth rewatching. I had some issues with it, but I'm going to focus on the positive first. You had Beverly Crusher. A badass weapons expert. Ass. Yes. <laughs> a lot's happened in 20 years. <laughs> You're going to have to do this manually. And she's got photon got torpedoes this. going everywhere. She's got phasers taking weapon systems out. It was awesome. There's, if, you, if you look back over the season, there's a lot of redeeming things that's happened to both of the women in this. And I'm not, I'm not going to get on no feminist thing because I don't believe this. I'm just saying, in general, she's the one who figured out the space squid now she's the one figuring out the transporters in order to get promoted up to admiral now which is amazing so i mean she's done some stuff that's this season alone she's figured stuff out she figured out the changeling stuff as we've gone through the season she's done it because she talked about gates mcfadden talked about how she didn't want to come back to do this series unless she wasn't just known as the dancing doctor anymore i think (laughs) they did well on writing for her the season I think they actually did well by all of these characters. I do too. Everybody had some sort of worthwhile growth arc. I think Worf was the best one. Worf, oh, I would agree with you. Best lines. Threesome. <laughs> <laughs> I will make this a threesome. Do you even hear yourself? Did y'all see what I reposted? It was amazing. I was afraid we were going to survive this. The swords are more fun. Yeah, I laughed at that scene too. But to go back to what I was saying, Deanna, who did not crash anything this season, which is very redeeming considering that's what we all have made jokes about for a while now. But also because her connection with Riker, which at the beginning of the season you kind of had, are they, are they not still back together? But that connection is what saved them all. Absolutely. She saved all of the crew, both sons. She couldn't save her own son, but she saved Jack Picard and Beverly son. The ask me anything with Terry Metalis that you sent us, SP, that actually had something in there that gave me a little bit of encouragement, for lack of a better term, because I had been questioning, well, we had been questioning some of the writing decisions that had gone on. And apparently there was a lot of thought to go in a lot of the different directions that a lot of us have been thinking about. Apparently they ran out of time and money. Because, I mean, one of the ones I kept asking about was Janeway, and they couldn't get Kate Mulgrew. They got Tuvok instead. They couldn't afford Whoopi to be in um, 10 Forward. 
Which is why she wasn't there, what you're talking about. Yeah, so there were there were a lot of decisions that were made just due to time and money. Even Patrick Stewart was apparently recorded saying that there was a slightly different extension to the ending that they just ran out of time and never got a chance to film. Which is also why Deanna is not in a lot of the episodes, because Marina was not actually physically there. She lives in London. It's hard to get her to come in. I'll bet you one of the original storylines was that Picard, John Luke, died at the end and they decided not to do that uh we had a very similar thing happen in defiance where the writers and the showrunner wanted to kill off one or multiple in this case characters and the studio said no i think the same thing happened here and if they are angling to green light star trek legacy you can bring these characters back in and you can reuse them at this point this might not be the last time that we see all of them. Right. And I think that's a good thing in retrospect. I was thinking this is the last time that we're going to see them all. Even after Star Trek Six, we still saw some of the original series characters in Star Trek. So why not? Hell, we got President Chekhov. That was so awesome. That was a, I think that was a great tribute to Anton. Yes. Did you hear the story behind that? So what they wanted to do is they wanted to have Walter Koenig there in person and instead you got a voiceover because they couldn't afford him. They ran out of time filming same issues that you just described. Todd Stashwick lives next door to Walter. They literally live next door to each other. So one night Terry Metalis came home with Todd with audio recording gear. They went over to Walter's place. He gladly lent his voice. I don't even know if he got paid. You know, some of these times it's just a courtesy cameo. This might have been it. And then they took that as his cameo, for lack of a better term, into being president as his son, the character's son on the screen, being the Federation president. That's how that all went down. Now, Fast forward to the actual viewing party that they had. They had it at either Todd or Walter's house. I think it's Todd's house. They had it there. And then there's pictures online of all three of them. I saw that. All sit on the couch eating popcorn. And yeah, I saw that. It's because Todd and Walter lived next to each other. That's how that happened. What are the odds of that? Walter and Shatner are the only ones um, that are still alive. Is that correct? Yeah, Sulu, right? That's right. George Takai. Yeah. I forgot about him. Yep. How could you? You accused him of using a rapier <laughs> wrong earlier this season. Wow. That was rough. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many things that I love about this season. But this particular episode checked off a lot of my boxes for me. So, I mean, I know y'all laughing. I, um, y'all saw my tweet that I did yesterday. I was like, before I finished all of it, like, I'm watching them do the card stuff at the end, and I'm like, yes, this is so cool. This is so cool. And I'm sitting there, and I rewind it, and I pause, rewind, and I pause, rewind. And, and then I did my tweet, and then I let it play, and then there's Q. I'm like, I did not expect that to happen. And I don't think that cheapens it. I mean, I know he had his big death at the end of season two, but Q is famous for coming in and laying on the heartstrings and playing tricks on everybody and then disappearing and then popping up again. So I don't think it cheapens his death. He might have actually been dying or he could just been, ha ha, fooled you. But they need his character if they're going to go off and do a spinoff. There's two different ways of looking at Q's reemergence, or at least in my opinion, story-wise. 
I know which way I prefer to think of it, but the two that I've managed to come up with is, is one of them is Q is a cynical being playing with the lives of, morta- of mortals. So the fact that he would lie to Picard in order to tug at his heartstrings in order to manipulate whatever it was, whatever game that he was playing at the time is not out of character in any way, shape or form. However, the way I like to think about it is a little bit more as the Whovians would call wibbly wobbly timey wimey sort of thing, which is Q can move backwards and forwards in time without any hesitation whatsoever. I would like to think that what happened between Q and Picard was an older version of Q, that this is a version of Q that is prior to what happened in Picard season two, because then it doesn't take away from what we had in Picard season two. It doesn't. I think that's worthwhile to establish a headcanon for, I guess, because we're stuck with it. If they do greenlight some more in this era, even if they don't use the Enterprise G, you're still going to have the cute character around that might or might not be used. I kind of hope that they transition away from John Delancey because like the rest of the original or the next generation crew, he's not going to be around forever. True. Let's put it this way. I was willing to try to wrap my brain around it just because I love him and I love the character. How much of a Doctor Who fan are you? I went through David Eccleson, David Tennant, and Matt Smith. After that, I fell off. Well, guess what? David Tennant's back. Yeah, that, that I know. I'm planning on going back through just to catch back up to that. Okay. I've been told before that I'm a bad sci-fi person because I am not a Doctor Who fan. I don't consider that a valid statement. Because Doctor Who is a niche. Yeah, it's good sci-fi when you get past like the campy things. I like Torchwood. Cheesy B-roll sort of effects sometimes. Torchwood had great writing to it. It also had cheesy B-side stuff. So, but right. I still like Torchwood. It also had Eve Miles. I know, and that's why I'm here for. <laughs> Look, you like you got to discover. I have a type, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I've got a type. For those of you listening to this that might not be a Doctor Who fan, what Doctor Who is is this pretty much omnipotent being, kind of like Q. That he's from this planet called Gallifrey, and they're time travelers. And he has this device called a TARDIS, which he's able to travel through time and space. And the TARDIS always seems to bring him to where he's needed most, which is something's going wrong in the space-time continuum. So he's constantly, or she, is constantly dealing with the actions of around, and there's some standard foes, much like we've had some standard foes here in TNG. And the Doctor will regenerate after a while, after hundreds of years of life, the Doctor will regenerate into a new copy. And I think we can kind of borrow some of that for Q and have Q regenerate as somebody else eventually. I think that'd be a good good way to go. Theoretically, Q could appear as however he wants. And he's already done that. And yeah. I think that's how you'll get away with it. Because even if he just recorded his voice, I think you'd get away with it. Because he does great voiceover for the cartoons, for My Little Pony stuff he does. But even then, we, we've seen it done before, if it's done well, that you can find an actor who can mimic enough mimic mannerisms his, yeah. that it will transfer over well. It has to be done well. Ooh, speaking of voice, I just want to say right now that I was happy to hear 
Lalexana Troy talking again on the computer. I mean, it wasn't oh, her, um, Majel Barrett or whatever, but yes, that's who. And Riker made that comment as he's leaving the bridge for the final. I, I missed that, that voice. voice. Yeah, that was that was a good tribute to her. It was awesome. Was indeed. I think the Enterprise D had to maintain service for a year with that crew because they had all of the other things that they had to take care of. Like they had to rebuild Earth's defenses. They had to repair ships. They had to get new crews qualified because a lot of people did die in this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Kind of like Wolf 359. We talked about that before. I think this equals it in loss of manpower and ships. And you guys were like, well, not ships. And well, well, we saw some ships leave. So <laughs> now some yeah. ships. So they had to repair it. I think the D was legitimately in service for a year going around the quadrant. So they have a year where the crew has legacy adventures that were just not filmed on screen. I could, I'd like to imagine that. I'd like to see that. And I'd like to see, because the surprise you have, where now you have Dr. Crusher is now an admiral. I would have liked to see that ceremony. I like to see the part where Jack always talked about this. No, Starfleet is not for me. Then now he's being taken by his parents, like a little kid, over to his first first ship. Okay. Yep. I would like to see him join. I mean, you could go back and do backstories on that. Yep. Ends in Crusher, Shuttle Guard. Uh, Well, I do like the fact that they at least addressed the idea that he is, after a year, suddenly an ensign. I love how he, I love. The swagger that man has when he stepped onto the ship. And it's like, you don't even see anybody at first. And then he starts giving out commands and he sits down on the chair and they're like, get off the chair. Get, get out of my chair. You could tell that ship, that crew on, on the bridge crew right there is not going to be so stiff. You know, Seven's like, get out of the chair. Come on, move. As long as they maintain their professionalism and their expertise in their jobs, right. you can have fun in your job. Right. Well, the other part about it is, is that you, what you have is, And they mentioned it, you know, you've got a pirate, a spy, and a thief running a starship. That was funny. It is an unconventional command crew, to say the least. The show that I think that they would do wonders with with them is the fact that this new Enterprise is the problem child of uh, Starfleet. They're the ones that are always getting themselves. It's going to be one of those, can you guys please bring back the ship intact this time? Well, definitely, it's going to be the Cerritos, because I'm guessing the Cerritos is either retired or close to being taken out of service. So here's the Enterprise G in charge of second contact. (laughs) I do like the fact that, um, if y'all remember, we talked a couple episodes back about how the crew, if they're going to do this new series, who are they going to have? I'm like, you're going to have the next generation's kids, the next generation's generation, which is, I like how they titled this the last generation, but really, you're starting over. With a whole new crew. I mean, Seven, I'm glad that we got to finally see it's long overdue her become captain. I think that is also a redeeming thing that's happened for all the trials and tribulations that she went through on Voyager to finally get promoted and to be seen as someone worthwhile in Starfleet because she was really close to quitting. I would argue that Harry Kim deserves that very same thing. Yeah, but we haven't seen him since but the he's end not of- around. He's available. The actor is available. They're doing that Delta Flyers podcast. He's all set to go in. Yeah, I I think he's got one thing going against him that Jerry Ryan has. (laughs) 
One looks. or two? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, he's not as cute as Jerry Ryan is. Which one's Harry Kim? He was the Asian ensign from Voyager. Is he not also the Asian ensign from Discovery? Nope. Nope. Okay. Because that guy played on Wine on Earth. I'm just trying to get in my head here. Okay. Okay. Oh, I know who Kim is. I know who Demond. Okay. I got you. Like, I'm with you. Did you guys talk to anybody that went to the IMAX showing? No. I haven't. There was one person in the Gonna Geek network that was able to go to the showing in Orlando. He said it was awesome. He said the audience was very respectful, but they did cheer when the places were that cheer. One thing that I have a concern about going into a theater to view something is I need closed captionings on normally to make sure that I catch all the dialogue. And he was the same way. And he said it wasn't as big of an issue as I would have thought because everybody was being very respectful for it. And he said seeing this all on the big screen was great. But the one thing that he didn't get that we got watching the episode was the Enterprise D in the pre-roll. Did you guys see that? Did you notice that? They put the Enterprise oh, D in yeah. that pre-roll. Rather than the Titan. What pre-roll? Where they've got the thing where the ship flies the Starfleet symbol at the very, very beginning of the show. Oh, okay. In the colors? Yes. So it, for this entire season, it had been the Titan. Now it's the Enterprise D. Yeah. I didn't notice I the whole that. Borg thing happening at the beginning, but I didn't notice this start. It's the Enterprise. Huh? Yeah, it was one of the only time that we're going to get the Enterprise D in that pre-roll because you're never going to see it there again. That's so cool. It's all set up in the museum. Seven's evaluation. You know, when she's sitting across the table from Tuvok and she's resigning, this is not for me. And Tuvok... He just that eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, he plays the evaluation from Todd Stashwick. It was like, oh, Captain Seven. Now, of course, he said, Tuvok said that that was sent in before all this stuff happened. Yeah. So that was before she pissed him off in mutiny, I guess, basically. Yeah. So, uh, you know, once again, going back to the Ask Me Anything, Terry Metalis did address that, basically saying that having her on board was to some extent a psychological thing for Todd Stashwick's character because of his uh, happening at Wolf 359, because she was part board. To make him face it. To make him yeah. face it. So that, that was to some extent why he started off as cold with her as he was. And not only that, why he refused to call her, but also why he refused to call her by her board name. That makes sense because it was his evaluation too. And that's maybe that's why some of the stuff is redacted at the beginning whenever you'd see the closing credits. I'm going to start to get into my issues. I do think that I know you said that and they asked me anything. It was explaining in a way that they just didn't have the time or the budget to do some things. But I do think that there were some definite writing challenges in this. And that was one of them where they had the intent for Todd Stashwick to be traumatized by his Borg experience. And that was driving a lot of his decisions. And they did have that one epic scene that Todd acted out very well in the holodeck 10 forward. But aside from that, I did not get the intent behind that story arc that Terry was trying to make. Maybe I'm too dense. I've talked to several people and they have all said the same thing, that they didn't get that intent. And I think that is just the tip of the iceberg in the writing challenges that came out 
this season that could have been done better in other storylines or other writers? I think with that evaluation that their statement as far as the timing in which it was created is probably where it gets messed up because there was that important time where he did report into Starfleet before the intrepid shows up to try to arrest everybody that he could have, if they had done it, probably sent it then because that was even the point in time where he was starting to come across to everybody. That's the time he told them that he was going to give them an opportunity to get their bull story together. And even though he was going to report them, that he was going to step away and let them try to figure out their way out of it as well. It would have made a little bit more sense if that was when he had filed his report about her. That would have made more sense. That would have been a simple change. Yeah, and I would agree with you there. So first of all, before I level into a lot of my other broader issues, I'll say that how you enjoy a film or a series depends greatly upon your previewing expectations. And for better or for worse, I had really, really, really high expectations for this. Like Game of Thrones level expectations. Like you're going to do this. You're going to do it well. This is going to be the final one. And it just wasn't that level. It was good. As I said before, it was Paramount good. It was Star Trek good, but it was not epic water cooler sort of conversation for anybody that's not a Trek fan. Right. And that's what I was expecting going into that. Because of that, I was perhaps overly critical of my viewing. And every time that there was an episode like this one, I still have issues with this episode, The Last Generation, including the title. I don't understand the title. We'll get to that. Anyway, because of those expectations, I was really critical. And I've also been viewing and podcasting on series for over 10 years. So, yeah, I have a little bit of critic in me that maybe took a little bit of the joy out of it. And once I recognized that, and I recognized that a few episodes ago, I was like, you know, I just need to turn my brain off and I need to have fun because this season was all about fan service and nostalgia. It wasn't about excellent writing and storytelling. But even then, as you said it, I felt like the end was a little bit rushed. You've said before that uh, you thought a couple of the earlier episodes could have been cut down and pushed into one. I would have rather seen them do that and broaden out the climax of this a bit more. It really does seem like they kind of came to the end and didn't have as much time left and just kind of went very similar to the way you ended Game of Thrones. Okay, uh, this happened, this happened, this happened. We're done. They could have finished out the Changeling storyline earlier and given us more of the Borg, more, I mean... Yes, I agree. The Borg story is kind of old, but they had some finishing up business that they hadn't completed in 20 some odd years. But if you were going to give us that thing, then I would have liked them to have spaced it out a little bit more than just two episodes. I'll give you an example on the Changeling storyline. Crusher had identified a way to track the Changelings. That was never brought up again. And all we got was the quick transporter at the end of, oh, we figured out a way to get them. And then you see them apprehending a changeling, which is good, but don't drop something like that and not follow through on it. Just like Crash. Oh, hi, I'm Crash. I crashed two ships. And then you have Deanna Troy. (laughs) Called a Crash. (laughs) You need, and I get that Marina was probably like, you need to treat my character well, and I don't want to be laughed at or anything like that. I get that. But there are ways that you could have, you served it up and you didn't follow through with it at all. Right. 
It's right there. It's right there. If you're going to do nostalgia and fan service, you got to do something with it, even if it's to the benefit of the Troy character. Even if the other characters around her made fun of it or brought it up some way, that still would have been brought it up and it still would have acknowledged it and then had her redeem it. Well, there was there was one thing that I thought when we came to the end and saw the new crew of the Enterprise that I thought was missing. Jordy's other daughter as chief engineer. And she might be down in engineering, right? Oh, yeah, but we didn't see her. No, we didn't. Okay, speaking of the crew, when it was, uh, was that the doctor of the Titan that was on the bridge crew with Seven when they were fighting? Dr. Oak? Yeah, was that her in the background? I don't know. It looked like the same woman that was playing, but I, but I, I never went back and watched it. Okay. Well, I, I did like the cook, right? <laughs> I'm just uh, a ma'am, cook. I'm just a cook, yeah. She's like, get to your station, quit whining. You have been taught how to fly, fly the ship. You know who that reminded me, by the way? Neelix. Oh, yes. I didn't even put that together until you said that. Groveling, yeah. No, he was the cook on the Voyager, right? Yeah. But he knew how to fly. He was an adventurer on his own, that sort of thing. He would be qualified to sit in that chair, at least. Neelix was a good character. Yeah. So their list of bad guys is long that could have been used here. And again, I will defer to the knowledge of Metallus coming out and saying it later, like Sela and the Cardassians, the Mud family. That would have been nice to get a cameo from the Mud family at some point in time. Ooh. See, like on Discovery, we got the Mud family, and then we got my girl Catherine Burrell. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Again, type. Yeah, this one I'm a little <laughs> less worried about because I think there's time if they have a Legacies series to bring this out. But Thomas Riker was not involved at all. It's a storyline in the Trek universe that was never completed. You see, there wasn't. Yeah, we need to have acknowledgement of either he's alive or not. And then if he is alive, you can bring him in legacy. Absolutely, you can bring him in in legacy. It's actually surprising to me to find out that as much as I teased you about the time that the Thomas Riker thing suddenly occurred to me was you've got Will Riker, who has been into this whole family thing. For the past several years, and it's never occurred to him to go looking for what is ostensibly his twin brother. I know they didn't get along very well, but that once again, that could have been something. It could have just been, uh, yeah, I found him uh, hiding in the uh, dregs of a blown up prison in on Cardassia after the Dominion War. It just could have been mentioned in that fashion. Well, there's a lot of things that's not going to be mentioned. I mean, like you said, like we said before, there's not enough time and they were sticking with these characters. They're not going to go off and start a whole new storyline with what they had this season. That can be saved for something else. Just like Sela. You weren't going to say, I didn't, I didn't ever think we were going to see Sela. This would have been the perfect time for Sela, especially because they went after the statue of Rachel Garrett. There still is not an explanation of why they targeted that Starfleet recruitment center, especially if the purpose of the Borg is to have more ensigns under 25 running through transporters. Again, another storyline that could be saved for the new Enterprise crew. Not really. I think they, ad- they addressed it quickly and off to the side, because what they suggested was is that that was far enough outside the mainstay of, of the Federation that they were trying to draw the eye elsewhere. Yeah, but 
why not go after an outpost somewhere? I didn't say it was a good explanation. I'm just saying that's what they kind of gave you. In both TNG and TOS, you had all those outposts that were, you know, hit at one point in time for whatever reason. You know, Romulans went after the outposts on the neutral zone. The Borg went after outposts on TNG. And then you're going after a Starfleet recruitment center on Metallus? It just doesn't track with the Trek legacy. He just wanted to be able to name a planet after himself. And, okay, I'll go for it, but then make it an outpost. Don't make it a, a central hive of scum and villainy. Well, speaking of that planet, it reminds me of Rafi. So let's get back to the good things that happened on this. I loved how Worf at the end helped redeem Rafi with her family. That was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool moment for Worf. That was a growing moment for Worf because normally he's kept to himself and really gruff and he actually hugged her, which when's the last time he saw Worf hug anybody? So I liked that redeeming. He did it for her, Raffaella, which I don't like it when he says that because it means reminds me of the turtles, but anyways. That's true. <laughs> Every time he said it, I think of the turtles. Anyways, I liked how it helped her with her family. She's now going to be able to see the granddaughter she's always looked at the pictures of. He has expunged her, I guess, her negative hidden reports on her. What, what we have the files on her. Being intelligence, you know, all that her family has seen is the times that she wasn't there, the times in which she was messed up and suffering from PTSD and acting like right. a fool. That's all her family has seen of her because she's kept faith and not told them the things that she's she done. Pronounced. She was a drug addict. She was all these negative things. So somewhere along the line, them seeing, I think the theory behind that is that once they had an opportunity to see what it was that she had accomplished, that all of this stuff had been with purpose, that she wasn't, you know, a lot of the things they were trying to tell her was that she was just paranoid and insane. It's kind of like, no, no, it's real. She wasn't paranoid. She was actually solving some of these things that she told that you thought wasn't a big deal. And I would like to hope that because that record got released, that would be an easier way for her to become the number one on the ship. So it's a good story. It's a good feel through thing. I get all that. Reality is a little bit different in, in reality. <laughs> so if this is what your expectation is in life, I just want to point this out. Recently, in the last month or so, there was some releases of U.S. classified intelligence on Discord. Look what happened. Dude got arrested, and he's probably going to be behind bars for quite some time. So I would hope that Worf would be a little bit sneakier than that airman was, but... Well, he did say whoever, whoever released it. That's what he said. Starfleet's going to be looking, and they're going to find him eventually. Now, whether they choose to do something about him or not... You know, you remind me of Sean right there. When you're looking at the the details, like he used to argue about a cartoon called the Bubble Guppies. It's the Bubble Guppies. It's a, it's a toddler cartoon show. And he's like, but it's fish that sing and talk. And he was okay with that. But he didn't like the automobiles and the airplanes that flew underwater. And like, it's a TV show. I am more talking to future writers and showrunners of Star Trek that you got to treat classified information as classified information. You can't go around sharing it like that because it is legal. I don't know about the Federation rules or anything like that, but you can't perpetrate this falsehood of currently how classified information is actually oh, yeah, covered. Yeah, they can perpetrate falsehoods on plenty of things. Fair. 
as much as we've had a, you know, in the past several years, a much darker look at, at the Federation Starfleet than what Gene Roddenberry really was going for, you have to admit it's still Star Trek. It still is an idealized future world. Yeah. And in an idealized future world, these things come out and everybody just gives each other a hug and, and, and it's all okay and everybody moves forward. It, you know, it is very, very Star Trekky that you would have that happy ending. And yet you still have the Romulans that will take that information and use it as actionable intelligence. All right. Let's only talk about yeah. him. Let's, let's only talk about the important Romulan. <laughs> the, the missing important Romulan? <laughs> what happened to Shaltog 4? All right. Seriously, that was brought up and it was never returned to. There was never a mention on it or anything. I have a problem with that. There's a hashtag going on Twitter right now called Laura's Who. I'm like, come on. That's so wrong. Laura's Who? Come on. Could I not have had like Lars calling up the ship and saying, oh, by the way, and then having Beverly answer the phone? I just that I'd been okay with that still too, but now Lars, see the ending. If you have Picard pass away finally of old age, should have been him passing away on Chaltalk for in bed next to her or something of that nature, or, or her finding him sitting in his chair reading his uh, Tale of Two Cities or whatever it is that you know, in just having <laughs> like nodded out. And you know, I really, I really thought. And I was halfway right. I'm like, I remember telling Carolyn, one of our Twitter followers, I remember telling her that, that he's going to sacrifice himself for his son. Because why wouldn't you? He's just a synthetic body at the moment anyways. And he would have. And he did. He did. I didn't really expect Picard to pull out of it. So I'm happy he did. But I, I, I expected them to lose him. And I really was disappointed in the little bitty tiny emotion that we got from Crusher whenever he was leaving. And the non-existent emotion that we got when he walked back into the bridge. And then, here's my big problem. Throughout the years of TNG, when he got assim- when Picard got assimilated and he had to come all the way back and Crusher did operations on him to remove all the parts, did the away team remove Jack's face prop stuff that was embedded in him just on the away team? I mean, what's fun? Crusher was there. She did it. No. Crusher was on the bridge. Yeah, he just walks out of the turbo uh, lift and and the face and all facial the facial implants gone. were gone. I'm like, that's some field dressing right there. That was just data using the transporters to remove all that stuff and go to his last known transporter pattern. Is that what that was? Yeah. I think that was some lack of writing right there. <laughs> Woohoo! I got an agreement. Lack Finally of writing. You got me on something. That was some lack of writing right there. Talking about lack of writing, let's go on. The Federation, this affects the entire Federation. Where are they? They should at least be on their way to help. Maybe they're too far away, but at least they should be on their way. Like, oh my gosh, if the Borg win, we're going to have to take on the Borg. They did ask, where's the cavalry? And the response to it was, whatever it is that we, you know, none of it's going to make it in time. They should have sent out an SOS. I like the fact that in the last episode, Picard was talking about how it's very un. He said he couldn't believe that Shelby would agree to having all the Federation ships under one control, like the board. And I thought, from a security standpoint, for me, it was stupid to have everybody in the one one little quadrant. Lack of writing. I got this one. I got. I got. Lay it this on me. One. Lay it on I, me. I, I've been thinking about this. What does Shelby want more than anything? She wants a glowing official report, right? 
the Stashwick evaluation thing did with Seven. She wants a good evaluation from President Chekhov. So she needs to do something to change Starfleet to make it better. And this is the only thing she can think of. This happens in real life, too, by the way. This is the only thing she could think of. And then she goes ahead and does it and then immediately has that regret where she gets shot. <laughs> I almost brought up a political thing about a particular kind of liquid that people drink slightly. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, beer. But see, her thing was always ambition. That was her big thing. She was ambitious. Yeah. It didn't always work well for and her. And she was willing to walk over anybody and do anything in order to fulfill her ambition. To get that promotion, to get that add a girl and pat on the back. Yeah. I mean, she even gets called for it in the um, Best of Both Worlds episodes where it's, you're not even really honestly thinking about saving Starfleet. You're just trying to promote yourself. I'm a huge Shelby fan, and she is played by Elizabeth Dennehy, by the way. She was on last week's Ready Room, and she did phenomenal. And they were talking each other up, both Riker and Shelby. They were going back and forth. She remembers her lines, by the way. Because she had to, she didn't get the Trek speak. So she had to memorize them so much so that they would be natural. She still remembered. She was only on two episodes. She still remembers them today. Wow. That's dedication right there. Or she has them written down and she just remembered them as she got onto Ready Room. She's that good if she did. Because she was able to play them off. She does come from a legacy acting family though no the denny's thought no you don't say <laughs> okay here's another one the titan survives while the bridge is taken over where the excelsior was taken out and shot like a dog it's like well, a they didn't dog. have seven well they also had the cloaking device but this was before they engaged the cloaking device good point and here's another thing with the cloaking device is that if they would have gone back to the Recton system and put all that baby sperm whale juice all over, they would have isolated the Titan from the signal from the Borg and all of those enzymes would not have become Borg and they wouldn't have needed a cloaking device. You knew we weren't getting out of this episode without that. You knew it. I'm just saying, it's a plot hole. That's another thing. They, they went out to the nebula and they were like, oh, yeah, we save this stuff and analyze it later. This could have been used to analyze to be a thing that they used against the Borg. Okay, so another complaint I have is how quickly Jack pulled off all the connections that he had with the Borg. I think they've done that before, though, haven't they? I have never seen Picard to start yanking on stuff. I mean, you would think that would be the first thing you try to do. The other thing is, is, typically speaking, the Borg aren't hardwired in as much as he was. They're typically networked and Wi-Fi to each other. That's a good way to look at it. I saw a meme this past week. For an advanced civilization that is, is very advanced, I forget what the exact meme was, they have terrible cable management, you know, with all these cables going all over. Everywhere. <laughs> There's wires hanging down everywhere. Yeah, but they're, not, they're not into aesthetics. Hence the big square ship. They need the Wi-Fi. Bluetooth. They need Bluetooth is what they need. <laughs> no more wires. Big square ship that you could fly through. Well, yeah. And put a giant Enterprise through. Yeah. Enterprise G. I'm going to go back to that. I have an issue with that because that means this crew has played with six of them 
the B in Generations, the C in Yesterday's Enterprise, the D in all of TNG, and this. Well, this crew never got onto the B. Well, it was in Okay, it the was movie. in the movie, but that being said, there was a time jump out to the, the, you know, nobody on this crew got onto the B. Fair, fair. But you had, uh, what's his name from Ferris Bueller that was the captain? <laughs> I remember reading about all of your stories when I was in high school. <laughs> so you had the E, which was their next ship. You had the F, which had been flying around for a while. We at least saw it here, right? And then now you have the G. That means they've had six versions of the Enterprise, where the original crew just had two. Yeah. Maybe three, if you count the B. Well, they also had four extra years of uh, seasons versus the only... Two, I think maybe did they get did, did uh the original but they had six movies versus four. True. All right. I mean, I could go that this all day. Let's go. I mean, the next generation generation, you know, has way more trek than the original series generation does. They do. They last longer. They never explain why Space Dog did not have any Borg. I'd be okay with it if they explained it away, but they never even explained what do you mean it away. Space Dog have any Borg? Space Dog was calling out saying our young are coming out are coming after us oh they did yeah yeah i didn't remember that okay they were broadcasting that and another thing picard said he had no family and that's why he joined starfleet wtf he had a family he had a brother he had a brother and a nephew, he had a and, nephew a and a sister-in-law yeah. that he felt no connection to until he felt no connection to renee that was one of the big things all through TNG. He didn't get along with his brother. He only got along with his sister-in-law and his nephew. And when his nephew died, he lost all connection to all of the family. Yeah, but he still had family. So for him to say, I joined Starfleet and I didn't have any family, no. that's wrong. But it also goes back to season two of Picard being the fact of showing you why he felt alienated from his family. Yeah, you could say you don't have family, whether you physically have them or not. If you don't feel connected to them anymore, you don't have them. Because if, they don't, if you don't have them in your life, it could be the same thing for him to feel alone. Okay. I can take that and run with it. Found family. If you're not comfortable with your family, plenty of reasons not to be connected to a family. I mean, plenty of reasons to be connected, but plenty of reasons right. not to. I liked how he answered. That was his way of saying why he never would connect to any of the women he had in TNG, why he never would let Beverly get close other than apparently one night. <laughs> so. No, it was more than one night. They said it was like their fifth time together as a relationship. So it was more than once. It also kind of goes back into the, if you want to go with the cynical manipulative, manipulative version of Q, because he, in order to, for lack of a better term, save the day today, he needed to have gone back and recognized that he did have family, which is what Q did to him in season two, was show him that he was worthy of family, that he was worthy of love, that he was worthy of all of this stuff. So if you don't have Q do that to him in season two, he's not prepared to save Jack in the way he did. That makes sense, because now it's, it's in his mind. So if you want to do, if you want to go with the cynical manipulative version of q just trying to put the pieces into place where they needed to be for whatever q is trying to do so that now q can move on to jack we'd had to have what happened in season two otherwise picard doesn't save him picard's not equipped to save him if he doesn't i like how in that part where he knew that he was going to have to separate 
from the other guys. He's like, I can't be your captain anymore. I have to go be a father. And that's the first time that you see Picard choose something other than his duty to the Federation over anything else. And he how he got choked up talking to Riker, trying to say goodbye. It was pretty cool. Yeah, but his um his duty to the Federation is what screwed it up and sent Jack running off to the Borg in the first place. If he had shown Well, the but same, that's him trying to fix it though. Yeah, but if he it, it kind of goes back to the same thing of him figuring out that he was equipped to do this because if he had shown the same compassion to Jack that he showed inside the collective before Jack ran away rather than trying to let Starfleet haul him off to Vulcan. Right. Well, and we talked about that before. He was all about breaking policy for whenever Vatic was wanting him and he broke protocol and said that he wasn't going to give him up. He broke protocol there. He broke the regulations there. He All these rules that he could have broke for his son whenever he found out that he was part Borg and talking about sending him to the Vulcan University, whatever. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. He, he could have done the same for, thing for him then, like he did whenever he said he wasn't going to give him to Vatic. Plus, the other thing is he had to finally, and as many times as you think he would have, he could have done it before now in the different opportunities that they've given him in different series, movies, shows, episodes, etc. This is the moment that he finally put behind him and got over his fear of the fact that he had been assimilated. Right. And what was that line that Worf said? That Klingons only know two things. No, there, there's two words that Klingons never want to say. Oh, he never used. Never used. Well, one was, was well, the, the one that farewell, and I can, for life of me, I can't remember what the first one was. Defeat. Defeat, that, yes. Because if you lived long enough to say farewell, then you, you didn't do your job. <laughs> I loved how he finally got to say it. it's a good day to die. He finally got to say it. I still love the line of I was starting to worry that we were going to survive this. I'm think I'm telling you, I think Worf had the best quotes, the best lines in this season. I think he had them because they're so unexpected from him. But I like that he hugged. I like that Crusher's like, come on, sing for us. You have an adorable voice. And he blushed. That was pretty funny. And after all that, Worf falling asleep on the bridge. And he starts snoring. He's like <laughs> shot at least three times, if not more, right? He's in desperate need of medical <laughs> attention. And the three of them just go up to the command bridge and sit in the command chairs because they're all qualified command people, right? And they're just sitting there and they're just laying back and he's snoring whenever I'm be I'd be I'd be worried. I'd be like, wake up, dude. You need to crush her, get you know, some medical surgery on this guy. Yeah, he's Klingon. I loved how when he handed his, his sword to Riker and Riker was like, crap, this thing's heavier than I thought it was. And then he had the phaser in it the entire time. So much for this entire season of him being passive. He's just passive in case he, in case he needs it later. All right. So as far as the Picard family thing, and we brought up the Riker family thing, what was the episode named after Best of Both Worlds 2? It was called Family, right? I believe so. I can't, don't ask me to lie. I don't know. That's the episode that Jean-Luc went down to talk to his brother, Rene, and he helped Jean-Luc get over the trauma of the Borg. Oh, that's when they're punching it out in the vineyard. Yes. We can do the same thing with Rikers, where Will <laughs> can do the same thing with You're Thomas. You're not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> it actually works out because the two of them can do that, and then they can bring their daughter, Kestra, into it. 
Will can, at least with Deanna. And what a wonderful story. And that would tie off that storyline that's just a vacant plot. The whole scene where Deanna was telling him when they were still captured, or still in the brig or whatever, that the changelings came to the house. Well, how did, well, they were conv- very convincing, you know, good in bed and bad at whatever he said it was. Cooking. Bad at cooking. He's like, oh, just like me. So you could have used Thomas for that one and just like slide that in where Deanna could have got them confused. That's about the only time you're ever going to get a storyline with Thomas, right? Imagine Will going home and finding out that Thomas has taken his place. Yeah, that would suck. That would be, <laughs> the two of them would never reconcile after that. They really went, this is not Worf and Will Riker. This is Will and Thomas. The brothers is a different thing than Worf and Will. And Deanna's never going to go back to Worf anyway. Well, Thomas was hitting on Deanna. Yeah. Well, he was. He's a twin. He's the exact yeah. copy. Matter of fact, he was probably a copy from when they were romantically involved the first time. Exactly. Right? That was the the mission that he never that even that neither one of them ever came back from. But Will had reconciled the fact that he had decided not to go back to her versus Tom, Thomas, who had just. I been. remember Will Riker, but I don't remember the details because I was a teenager when that happened. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I don't, like. I don't remember the titles. I can remember things that happened, but I don't remember titles of episodes. I just remember I was there through all of it, but well, for this season, we were talking about things that could have happened, right? So Elnor, where was he? He was supposed to be on the Excelsior. The Excelsior was hit. According to Metallus, he's still alive, but I don't know where he was. So that's kind of a because of plot sort of thing. Gaiden wasn't involved because they couldn't get Whoopi for m- money. I get it, but she wasn't involved, but yet they kept reference her her over and over and over i think they thought that they would get her and they just couldn't well, maybe they're just trying to tribute for her. but even then we we saw raffi get the opportunity to kick some ass wouldn't it have been awesome if uh elnor was on the ship he got borgified and she had to fight him yeah that would have been awesome that would have been a great scene save it for the next episodes if you're going to completely obliterate season two you need to bring Wesley back. You do, because his nice goodbye in season two, and yet Q, his goodbye is redone, and the whole thing that happened in season two, it's like, eh, who cares? Yeah, I was kind of surprised they didn't actually bring Will Wheaton into something, even a small little part, or maybe just like an audio transmission with his mom, with his mom saying, hey, we're all safe. I don't know. I just, you'd have thought to bring something. I mean, I understand that there's, there's storylines that we're never going to get. You're never going to get Thomas Riker. You're never going to get Sela. I mean, you're I just not. I wouldn't say never. You're not going to get them anytime soon. You're not going to get in closing for the things that happened in season two Picard to cross over. Here's where they could have brought Wesley in. And I know I realized why they didn't. Jean-Luc is left alone or is left plugged in in the Borg cube and everybody else is taken off. Wesley comes in and comforts him until the end. I could see that happening, right? So that would have been good. And since Picard lived, they didn't need to do that. So maybe there just wasn't a reason to bring Wesley in. And the other thing is Kestra. Okay, she's supposed to be in Starfleet. Where is she? Like Elnor? She could have been with Elnor, right? So yeah, those. Okay, I mentioned before in a previous episode, the signatures at the end of Star Trek Six. We didn't get signatures at the end of here. I'm just going to ask you guys because I don't... Signatures? I'm 50-50. So at the end of Star Trek VI, the original cast actually signed in the post-credits. Really? It was a cool moment. I'll, I'll give you that. 
I will say that the idea of them and what did they sign? Just it was just their signatures popped up on the screen. Oh, scrolled in and enlightened. I don't remember any of that. I will say that the idea of them ending around the poker table in the same way that they did in um, for all good things. I thought that was that was a good idea. I had the biggest grin. Didn't end there, though. That's my point. I, I loved the poker table scene, especially because you got more of the play. They were actually playing a hand, right? It was great. But then they went on. Uh, once again, I think that what I think you're looking at there is what I would call poor editing choices that they should have put what they turned out to be the after, you know, or just right about credit scene there. That should have gone before. I agree. I like that you could tell. Even at the poker table, you could tell that in real life, because they're all friends, that, that that wasn't really acting. That was just them enjoying the moment of being at the table together. You could tell that that's something they all do together anyways. And I have to go back to all good things, but I believe the last lines that were spoken on the deal were the it was the same game that they were dealing in all good things as the camera went out. Yes. And the last thing that you, the last line is Picard saying, I should have done this long time ago and joining the actual game. Portal device still out there, which bugged me for a while. But if they really go through with the Star Trek legacies, then you can bring the portal device back. Okay. I'm hoping to see it. I'm hoping to see Star Trek legacy or whatever they choose to call it. The next, next, next generation. I was about to say, Star Trek legacy is that what they're going to call the stuff that seven takes it with that's the working title for it i really hope we get that that show i want to see the adventures of seven as a captain with rafi with jack with jordy's daughter that was driving that's an interesting crew that we could see the only thing that's missing and i'm still disappointed she died is the vulcan science person tavana yeah so what do you think seven's catchphrase should be man i don't know there's so many things, but when I think in my head, I only hear the same things that Picard's always talking about. <laughs> or that Pike says, hit it. You know, like, I don't know. I don't How know. About end of line. I, well, I could see her just kind of doing the, oh, just go. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, go! Just, just look, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Help me understand the title. We've talked about it several times, but we've never come to a conclusion. Last generation. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, no, I actually, if they wanted to do that, I think they should have flipped the words around. Generation next would have worked. Okay. You know, generation next. No, yeah. Basically rather than being the next generation, it's generation next. So it's kind of, how about they just new generation that would have worked too. Yeah. New Coke or last of this generation. So the last thing that I'll reference here is that. Vatic and the Borg Queen both were affected in slightly different ways, but they were both affected by viruses designed to target the their race by the Federation. Yeah. So I thought it was very appropriate that they both came together as a villain set. So I thought that was done well, at least. It was subtle, but and you didn't get it until the very end. Their vengeance that they had that they shared together. That was the other part that I thought was a shame that we never got Kate Mulgrew for because she's who they should be pissed at for that because she's the one who did it to him. I agree. Janeway was the one who did it to him. Did what? The virus that left the Borg because that's a future version of Janeway came back in time 
at the end of Voyager and helped Voyager use the Borg transwarp conduit to do it. But in the process of protecting Voyager, fed a virus into the Borg in the Delta Quadrant. And is that why you had the Delta? Is that why you had the flesh eating yep. Borg yes. that were dying? Yes. Ew. Janeway was the one who really did that to them. So I can see them after the Federation, I could see them wanting to use Picard and Jack to get back at the Federation. I could see that, but I can't see them really targeting Jean-Luc as you're our main villain, because you're right, it would have been Janeway. Okay, the last thing that I'll say here is if they go through with the Star Trek legacies, you still have on the table Kirk's body, Battle Tribbles, and the Genesis 2 device. Battle Tribbles. <laughs> I can't believe they have those in, in the locked away. Although I think Section 31 could use those, you know, the Section 31 project. It's not a series, by the way. It's like a movie or a, a miniseries or something like it's that. It's not going to be a series? No. With Michelle Yeoh? It's going to be a project, but it's going to be a, a limited movie, something like that, which <laughs> fits better into Michelle Yeoh's stature now. I could definitely see that. So, yeah, you're still going to get Section 31. I still think I think she's a cool character, so I'd watch it. Right? I liked her character on Discovery. I just don't think we had her long enough. So which do you like better, Shannon? All good things or the last generation? I'm gonna say the last generation. I liked it better here because now you've got to see how these people have lived out their lives in the past couple decades, right? Now you have a hint. Not, well, let me rephrase it. Now you have the Rikers who have had, they've gone off and they've had their family, they've had their kids, they've had their tragedies, they've got their daughter that's in the, in the academy. You have all these things that are happening with the Rikers. You have Picard and Crusher who have at some point come together, multiple times apparently. But again, I would have liked to have seen more of that acknowledgement other than them just riding in the shuttle back together to deliver their son. In all good things, you didn't have that. In all good things, he kept her at arm's length the entire time. So you always had that will they, won't they, they should hurry up and do it kind of thing with all good things. I like the conclusions that we've come to here. I like that you could tell that after all, the, all these years, I mean, the whole thing that brought this season together was what was going on with Crusher. And her opening up and asking for help is what got them all back together. So I'm happy that you could tell that she was happy that she allowed that to happen because now she's finally re able to relax and be around, be around her family. So I like the fact that even though after all those decades between then and now, they're back together again. Where if we had left it right where TNG left it off, you would have never known what happened to them. So... I really like them around the table again. I thought that was a good send off for this crew. I thought the forties or fifties music they were I mean not forties, the, the, the was it the thirties music they were playing for Picard all the time? The big band stuff. Yeah, the big yeah. band I like I like big band. But the moment he brought out the cards and they're all like screaming yes, I mean you could tell that not only in real life can you tell that these people like being around together, but as the characters, you could tell the characters are comfortable enough that they enjoy doing activities together. 
And I thought that was a great way to send it off, even though I would like to have more. And even though I say things like, I wish I had Loris, but really what I mean when I'm like, I wish I had Loris and Crusher, but you know, that's just, <laughs> that's just me. But I'm happy with it. I'm happy with, even with the plot holes, even with the, some of the writing that didn't go out well, even with the things that we didn't get that I wish we had more of, I'm happy with it. And I'm happy that we got an ending. Jake, I'll ask you the same question that I just asked Shannon. All good things or the last generation? Which did you like better? That's a tough one because I think they're both good endings for where the story was at the time. True. It was true. All good things was a excellent ending to the next generation. I like the fact that they ended with Q in the same way that they started with Q. And the same thing of being, you know, as far as Q was concerned, this was all just one huge test. And he's continuing to test. And the test never ends. Everything keeps moving forward. I really liked the ending to the next generation. Whereas I think the move forward that we've done now, that this was a good ending for these characters, showing, giving you the opportunity to show that where their lives had gone, the fact that their lives had been fulfilling or are now being fulfilled, however you want to put that. We never really got this for the original crew, to some extent. We never really know what happened to Scotty. Right. We never really know. We we now have some concept what happened to Sulu. We have some concept what happened to Chekhov. We, you know, Kirk, they just kind of killed off in one of the strangest ways. We never really got this, like, nice ending and send-off for those guys as much as we do. We now have two of them for the TNG crew. You know who I really feel for that didn't get a ending and we don't know what happened to? Say it. Porthos. Uh, who knows what happened to Porthos? Oh, poor guy. Well, at least he's just still not going in between the stuff that Scotty was trapping him in. Well, remember, yeah, it's the Scotty thing of He transported the dog. Nobody's found. Nobody's seen the dog since. Yeah, that's from the uh, J.J. Abrams track. All right. So for me, I will liken The Last Generation to All Good Things and say Imposters was my favorite episode of this season. Which one was that? That was the one with Ensign Rowe. Oh, yes. Now, I'm going to go back and refer to your uh, Ask Me Anything again, because even Metala said, we didn't see a body. No, we didn't see a body. As long as Michelle Forbes wants to come back, they could design something to bring her back. But I still loved it because it was excellent writing. They did just enough nostalgia that wasn't overdone. It was a good surprise and everything. So Imposters was my favorite, just like in the Next Generation series, the Best of Both Worlds, Inner Light, Yesterday's Enterprise were all, I think, better episodes than All Good Things. Even though All Good Things was good, I think there were better episodes. And like I said, Imposters in this season was a better episode, in my opinion, than The Last Generation. That's just my opinion on everything. No matter what iteration of Trek you're looking at, there's always at least some sort of foresight and commentary. The one I've seen bouncing around the internet right now is Picard's speech, and I don't remember the actual title of the enter- of the episode, but when they have the Romulan, the tribunals looking for uh, Romulan sympathizers on the Enterprise. 
And he does that little speech at the end about the, the, the first uh, link of uh, rights being taken away. It burdens everyone. What episode was that? I don't remember the, the name of the that? episode. I think it was like the third or fourth. Was it this season? No, it was it was original TNG um, episode. Oh, okay. I can't help you. You know, there used to be a time when TNG was actually airing. There used to be a time where I could watch the first three minute teaser and tell you the name of the episode and exactly what it was. <laughs> I can't do that anymore, even though I have all of them on on box set. Now you can watch them on streaming, but I can't do that anymore. But I can't read. I've never been able to retain names of episodes. So sometimes when you are talking, I'm like glazed over. I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? Because I don't remember that. But then again, you remember, I was like a teenager. So, I mean, it was 87 when, wasn't it 87? No. Yeah, it was 87 when, when TG Air, right? So I agree. I have podcasted all of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes, and I don't remember all of them by name, by far. Right. I remember a few of them, but I don't remember all of them. If you rewatch it over and over again, then you start to pick them up. And like with the original series, if you would watch them again or the TNG, if you'd watch them again, you'd pick right. up the names as well. So it, it just comes with repetition. Well, it also, because even with Winona Earp, which is one of my favorite shows, I can watch it over and over again. And I can tell you what episode we're on, what season we're in, what number it's in, but I can't, I'm just still not going to remember the name of, and they used every title of their shows with songs. So it was, you would think it'd be easier to remember, but I can just remember the, the actions that happened in the episodes. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for having me on these last 10 episodes. This has been phenomenal. This has closed a huge loop in my life from <laughs> watching this from the beginning in 1987 in a basement with my dad all the way through my military service with the Air Force and then lately uh, just being able to close it off with all the movies and everything. All the fun things that have become like First Contact and Nemesis, which I'm glad we got a, another ending than Nemesis. <laughs> That's actually what I was about to say. You, you can now say that Nemesis is not the end of this story. Right. And no. I, I prefer that. But Shannon, I don't know if you remember this or not, but on February 12th, 2014, I sent you an email. Your husband gave me your email. Actually, it was a shared email address that you had. And I asked you if you would join me in a podcast on defiance. It was a very long, overwritten email, very eloquent, went through all the considerations. And then you responded in like three lines of, yep, I'm in Jamie Murray. <laughs> but it's been since february 12th 2014 until today which as we're recording this is april 21st 2023 so almost 10 years almost 10 ago years was your decision to come podcasting and i asked you to do it your husband had been trying to get you to podcast for a while and me yeah, he's and not jamie, enough yeah he, <laughs> me and jamie murray got you on the microphone so it jamie. has been a great almost 10 years of podcasting with you and then you we've both gone our separate ways and then we both came back here jake this has been such an honor to actually get to podcast with you for the first time as well thank you both for having me the honor is mine or ours i mean you know I, i've always enjoyed the interactions that you and i have for all the times that you and i would, would no, actually for all the times you try to keep me and sean intact and and keep us going had a red tape in the middle and 
sometimes you it's uh, it's like telling the kids to behave i get it but i sent you more red tape too by the way i know i saw it he's like <laughs> we should be using this i'm like i don't have anybody to interfere with me at the moment it's out here i like it just the way it is i'm fine but i mean yeah i enjoy it you and I always have good interactions. You and I are always have fun talking. And it, as long as I can find a show that I'm passionate about. I mean, there's things out there, obviously, that I wish I would have thought about beforehand. Like Warehouse 13. Oh, my God. But it takes a good show for me to want to come back and do a podcast. Just like with Strange New Worlds. I like Strange New Worlds a lot. So, I mean, and then, of course, Jamie. Jamie Murray. She's going to be on Stranger Worlds? That'd be awesome. I don't think she's going to be on Strange New Worlds. <laughs> now, I do know you get the cutie from um, Show Rain. You ever watched the Show Rain about the the Scottish uh, queen? No, no. She, I heard she's supposed to be a guest star on here. It's called Rain. She's um, Mary Queen of Scots. Anyways, hmm. uh, there's a whole TV series about Rain about her. But anyway, she's supposed to be guest star on here. I would like to see that because again, I have a type. But yeah, I, I, I enjoy podcasting with you. I enjoy the interactions and, and hanging out and the fun times we have and we're doing it. So I mean, if, if I find another show that's coming on or getting on, and then I would love to podcast with you again. Sounds like a good deal. 10 years. Wow. Yeah, almost 10 years. Yeah. And until then, you guys are coming back in June. So just a couple of months from now to cover season two of Strange New World. Sean will be back. You will not have to worry about me. It will be Jake, Sean, and Shannon. But I won't have a room to myself again, so. <laughs> and you'll have to worry about the kids knocking on the door. Uh, I like him handling at the moment. Although they're, he's not, because they've texted me many times, even though he's walking freely in the house. They've texted me many times about how they're going outside to ride bikes, and then 30 minutes later, okay, we're back. I'm like, why don't you just tell him? But they don't. They don't, because you know, they mom. think of me. Because I'm mom. That's what it is. And I didn't answer either one of them. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Do you think? Well, it's definitely been fun talking about Star Trek The Next Generation and Picard Season 3. And if they ever come back. You're always going to get love from me with TNG. You got it. I love I love my crew. I like Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I really like the characters on that show. And I think that that's going to be my next crew that I hang on to. Because I hope, I really hope that that show makes it for more than a couple seasons. I think they have potential to do great things with, with that crew. That being said, TNG crews, who I grew up with, that's TNG was my first introduction into sci-fi. What a great introduction. Yeah. Prior to that, I would say my, I mean, I guess the X-Files is kind of sci-fi, but it wasn't space sci-fi, right? So, I mean, TNG is my introduction into sci-fi. Gates McFadden, I've told you that before, was the first one that I ever went to get an autograph for at the con before. And now I saw her back in October, and I think I think it's September. Her and a couple of other people are going to be at an Austin con that I'm going to drive down for. Ooh. Brain injury or not, I'm driving. <laughs> I'm going. You need a brain injury to drive down to Austin from where you are. I mean, it's it's only three hours, so. I know, but it's Austin. <laughs> yeah, I've never I've never hung out in Austin. I've always quickly driven through it. Just to get to the other side, like San Antonio and New Braunfels. I mean, I don't want to stay in Austin, but I'll go down there for Gates. And, you know, Jonathan Franks is going to be there. And Will Wheaton's supposed to be there. Terry um, Farrell? What was her name? Uh, Jadzia Dax. Yeah. Terry Farrell. Yeah. She's going to be there. So, I mean, there's quite a few people 
that's oh what was the guy you talked about the the elon not not elon um elon musk no elnor 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 Elnor's supposed to be the guy that played elnor is going to be there so it's worth it for me to go down there but i'm really 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 hoping that some of the winona crew shows up down there too because if cat burrell can get down there that's worth me driving anywhere for yep 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 she's my new jamie (laughs) does she know this you know what? I met her last April. I showed her the tattoo that I have. That is a picture of her on my arm. Yep. That's a picture of her. Pretty. She enjoyed it. She enjoyed it. So whenever I, I met her, we did our autographs. And when it came time for me to do photo ops with her, she called me, hey, there's the tattoo girl. Come back in here. So, I mean, I got spoke to and hugged by Kat Burrell. So at least this time around, I didn't say, I love you when like I did to Jamie. So I was actually able to speak with her. I've improved. Jake, you keep on the legacy of section 35 after I'm gone and keep wearing your tinfoil hat. Of course. <laughs> of course. Where would I be without paranoia? It worked for Rafi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to sign off now. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it quite a lot even though had a lot of critiques on the writing but in the end it was fun trek as i said so look how much my hair has grown since we started this (laughs) oh yeah nice we need to find out about the wedding afterwards i didn't ask you about that later before what wedding the wedding you went to on april 1st well what about it we'll talk about it later (laughs) all right i'm starting off here suggestive at all okay (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks Thanks, Starpie. See everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> this has been an episode of the Strange New Worlds Fancast P3 Edition. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, you can find us at strangenewworlds.podbean.com for more podcasts on Strange New Worlds and the Picard final season. If you'd like to contact us, you can hit us up via email at strangenewworldsfancast at gmail.com or on Twitter at trek underscore worlds. We are a part of the Lone Wolf Podcast Network. You can hear more of this cast and other shows like it by checking us out at lonewolfpodcasts.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This episode, I was so excited and happy. Yeah. I only have one complaint, and I think you're going to agree with me on it. I have two. I only have two. What happened to Laris? We don't even go there? That's not my complaint. That is my superficial complaint, because I think she's hot. Well, I think it's a plot point that just got left. But they did a lot of that. They did. There's a lot of things from season two that they didn't even talk about. But my complaint is, if you're not going to do Loris, which I would have not have left, you didn't even confirm anything with Beverly. Not one time in the season did they hug, did they touch, did they kiss? Nothing. You just see a one year later, which obviously Loris is not in the picture after one year later. And then they're taking their son to the ship. But still, if you're not going to have let us have one, you could have confirmed something with the other. But that's not my big complaint. Well, okay. I'm sure we'll get there. How's being back to work? Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
So all that to answer your original question, I requested yesterday to permanently be put in the warehouse. I don't want to go back out on the field. Not to mention when I work on ATMs, whether it's 30 degrees outside or 102, I'm outside. So if I'm working in the warehouse, I think that'd be a better thing for me. And I get trained on forklifts. What's more money? Hey. Not stuck in the elements. More better, you know, better training on things. So, you know, right now they're technically, and they hired they hired a third person to do ATMs. There's just not that many ATM calls that come yeah, in. Yeah, but, but if you get certified on heavy equipment, that's fun. So if I could get training and certified on how to do warehouse stuff and be a warehouse assistant and forklift driver, if they were to ever let me go or, or if I ever decided you, to leave. You could go work for beef. I could. I'd, seriously. <laughs> make some money on that one. I don't know if you'd want to work up there. It gets cold about eight months of the year. Yeah, not so much. There are too many kids in the house. <laughs> Kayla has a little girl that came home from school with her. They're doing a sleepover and they're running around and asking me to get my bike down. I'm like, have at it. Whatever goes, I'd be quiet. Shut up. <laughs> right on the other side of the door behind me. And every time they slam their door, it vibrates this door. Go ask your father. Yeah. Go get him. See around? Yeah, he's in the he's in the bedroom watching TV. <laughs> hiding. He's hiding, yes. There's too many girls. Yeah, no, no. I, I have done the same thing. I used to just antagonize them. I'd uh I'd wail into the HVAC system, make it sound <laughs> like ghosts. <laughs> I played Reveille on my trumpet to wake them up. Uh nice. I, uh, my wife has actually done that on the tuba before. <laughs> I'm the one that they want them to take them to Taco Bell at 10 o'clock at night. So I'm like, yeah, fine. <laughs> fine. Fine. Well, that's why they asked you, because you say fine. Well, I mean, I started that long when they were babies, both of them, especially Michaela, when she was a baby. Right after I had them, I was still working at Frito-Lay for those 13 years. So then I worked from 3 to 11. So by the time I came home, Michaela would already be put to bed. And because I missed her all the day long and I was a new mom, I'd come in and I'd gently wake her up and we'd have like kind of honey buns together, sit at her under the nightlight and I'd read her book. And now it became her tradition. Now my kid is, is an insomniac like I am. No fault of her own. It's probably my doing. So many times when I'd come home at midnight, she'd be like, still wide awake because I'm hungry. I'm like, let's go talk about because I'm not cooking for you at midnight. So it's become... <laughs> And then the other one came around. She's like, well, I want to go. I'm like, but you don't even like it. She goes, but I want to go anyway. It's like, fine. And then end up, now it just ends up, after I get them food, we drive around the neighborhood for just to get out of the house. So that's my own fault, but whatever. Energize. <laughs>